So last week, we began with this beautiful story of God's creation. And God looked at it at the end of his creation, and he said, this is good. This is very good. But something dreadfully has gone wrong, hasn't it? We, we, we live in a world that is broken, that does not fit together in a way that we would look at it and say it is very good. We find ourselves in situations where things have happened to us or with us that are hurtful and cause division between us and those around us and cause division between us and God. Can you imagine the heaviness of meeting, uh, some of you might ha have done this, can you, can you imagine the heaviness of meeting a father that you didn't know for 36 years? And the pain that would be a part of that? Um, this morning is going to be a little bit heavy, so I'm, I'm going to warn you up front. A little bit heavier of a day, and I think that's okay, but there's always good news when it comes to God. So we're going to look at the good news as well, but it's going to take us a little bit of time to get there. Is that all right? Are you with me? So here's how the story begins in terms of humanity. The story begins by God creating all that we see and then creating us, creating humans, and the, the, the most important piece is that God created us in his what? Image. Yeah, he created us in his image. Man and woman, both in the image of God. He created us in his image, and we are image bearers of God. Now, this is something that we must not forget. This is our primal identity, and I don't know how hard I can, I can work at this so that this doesn't get out of your mind. Can you remember this, that you're an image bearer? Can you remember that? Now, I know you may not feel that way. I know that you, you might look at yourself and say there's a lot of reasons why you're not bearing the image of God, but please, whatever you do, don't forget that your primal identity is found in the image of God. Down deep inside of all of us is the image of God. One of the things I was thinking about this week is that God's fingerprints are all over creation, right? We can see it in the sunrise and the sunset when the temperature goes from 139 to just 100. Like we're under 100. God is good. Amen? Right? Uh, God's fingerprints are seen all over creation. But only humanity was created in his image. We're the only ones that bear his image. And we see beauty in the world, but the truth is, down deep within each one of us is the image of God, and it is good what God has put inside of you. So don't forget that. Now, if you're like me, you end up saying, but we're broken. We're, we're marred. We're scarred. There's something that, that we don't bear God's image in the way that it should be uh, in this world today. There's something that has gone wrong in us as humanity. We don't bear God's image the way that we should. Um, I, I would say this, that just as humanity has this great capacity for good, we also have the great capacity for what? Evil, right? There, there's, there's this reciprocal amount of, of good and evil that each one of us has the ability to, to live out in our world. Um, uh, I was in a discussion once about Hitler, and you think about someone like that, and you think, how could someone be so evil? And you begin to kind of back up from that, and you think, man, God must have put so much potential in someone like that for good that they're able to do that much evil. There's this, this reciprocal amount that just as we have the ability and capacity to do good, we also have the ability and capacity to do evil. Now, 
this is where I want to kind of lean in. And th this is why it's going to be a little bit heavy today. And um, it might feel a little, weighty, a little weighty when we, when we kind of get into what we're going to talk about. Um, but I'm just, I'm, I'm begging you to stay with me and don't forget that you are an image bearer of God. Okay, so you're still with me. I'm going to just make, keep making sure that you're still with me as we go through. Now, most of us, even if you haven't been around church, we've heard the story of Adam and Eve, right? You've heard the story of Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden. And there was this tree, and on this tree was a... Apples, see, we, like, apples, interesting, it's not even in the Bible, but we all, like, have this picture because we've been told these stories, and it's an apple, and so Eve takes the apple, um, but she also, Adam's with her, so don't, like, it's not her fault, it's all of our fault, and so she takes it, and there's this interesting dynamic when you read this story that, that you think, like, what does that have to do with me, and, 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 and is this a story that really happened it seems so bizarre that God would say you can eat off any tree except for one. Doesn't that seem bizarre to you? A little strange? And Adam and Eve, by taking that fruit, basically they were turning their back on God. They were, they were disobeying what God had given, like they, he'd given them just one guardrail. And they had turned their back because Adam and Eve, just like all of us, wanted the power and the ability to do whatever they wanted to do, Right? They wanted the power. They wanted the ability. They wanted, they wanted to define what was good and evil. And so they took the fruit. Now, it's an interesting story, and I want to encourage you to read it this week. Read that story this week. It's actually in your journal. Um, there's, there's pieces of it in your journal. What I want to do this morning is I want to go to the next story that's found in Genesis chapter 4 because I think there's this incredible picture that we can all relate to. Will you go there with me, Genesis chapter 4? If you have your Bible, you can open it up. And um, I'm going to read, and there's going to be some things on the screen as we walk through this. So Genesis chapter 4 tells the story of two people primarily, and they were the children of Adam and Eve, and their names were Cain and Abel. Got it? Cain and Abel. Uh, when they grew up, it says, Abel became a shepherd, and Cain cultivated the ground. So Abel worked with animals, and Cain worked with uh, the fields and, and what grew out of the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best of the firstborn lambs from his flock. So in other words, uh, from what they were doing, what they were uh, doing in this world, creating what they were ruling over, animal and grain, they brought a portion of that to offer it to God. Does that make sense? Are you with me so far? Yes. The Lord, this is interesting, looked upon Abel and his gift but he did not look upon Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and his face fell. Now, one of the beauties of Scripture is that there is so much room here to begin asking questions. Like, what's one of the first questions you might ask when you, when you see something like this? I, I find myself saying, what, what does it mean that God looked upon his gift? Do you have that question? Like, what does that even mean that God looked... Some translations use the word accepted there. So uh, the Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift, right? Which then leads to another question. Why would God accept one gift and not another gift? Would you ask, like, I, I, I asked that of the scripture. Like, what, what did one of them do that the other one didn't do? They were both offering out of what they had to God. So why would God not accept or, or look upon this gift. And as it says, this made Cain very angry 
and he looked dejected. Now, real quick, have you ever sensed that someone else was receiving a blessing from God and you wondered why God didn't bless you in the same way? Have you ever felt that? We're in church. We can be honest. It's okay. This means yes. This means no. Have you ever felt, have you ever felt like, even if you didn't admit it to anyone else, like, I deserve what that person has received? Have you ever felt that? Like, why did they get that and I didn't? I think this is probably what, what Cain was experiencing. Like, why did God look upon him and what he brought? I brought what I thought was, ex- and, and God didn't even look upon it. So he's angry and dejected. And the story goes on. God says to, to Cain, why are you so angry? Why do you look so dejected? And um, it doesn't give us the answer here, but I think Cain is like, well, duh, God. You, you know everything. You know why I'm angry is because I brought you something, and obviously that didn't make you happy, and I don't understand why. Why are you blessing them and not me? And I think that's something we often deal with in our world is we see what other people have and we think we deserve the same thing. Okay, so the story goes on. I'm reading into it a little bit, sorry. Um, so the story goes on. Uh, why are you angry? And then God says to, to Cain, and I think this is so very important, he says, you will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. You will be accepted if you do what is right. Now, we lose a little bit in translation. What God is actually saying here when he says, you will, you will be accepted if you do what is right, that little phrase, what is right, is actually connected to chapter 1 where God says, it is very good. So there's this tie between the very good that God created and what he's asking Cain to do in this moment. So Cain has this choice to make. And this is the choice we all have to make. When we feel like things aren't fair, when we feel as though God has smiled upon someone else, blessed someone else, but not us, what do we do with that? What do we do? And God says, you will be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out, because I will smite you down. Just kidding, it does not say that in the Bible. I just wanted to make sure you're awake and you're with me. God does not say, I will smite you down. That's not a part of it. So here's here's what God does say. Again, interesting. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. Now, this is the first time in Scripture that the word sin is used. Now, you would think maybe back with Adam and Eve, the word sin would be used the way that we think about sin in today's world. Why didn't it talk about Adam and Eve sinning? Well, this is the first place in Scripture where the word sin shows up, and we're going we're gonna to come back to that. Um, but there's this picture that it paints, that in these moments where we feel this tension in our world, there is something crouching at the door waiting to control us. Have you ever been controlled by your emotion? Yeah, yeah. Like, I think we all can get this, this idea, this understanding that there's something that, that every now and then rises up within us and it takes control of us and we act in a way that we wish we didn't act. Have you ever, like, after you said something or did something, have you ever wished that you, you hadn't su- said that or, or done that? Are there any married couples in the room? <laughs> right? Like, 
God says to Cain, be very careful because there is something crouching at your door and it's waiting and eager to control you. I was running one day in our neighborhood and um, I've heard these stories that there's crazy, that there, there's wildlife in our neighborhood, but it feels weird that there would be wildlife, like real wildlife. Like I'm not scared of coyotes or anything like that, but um, it just is it's strange that there would be wildlife like, like scary wildlife. And so I'm, I'm just jogging. It's dark outside. I have a headlamp on. And I notice out of the corner of my eye something jump from the ground to the top of a fence. And so I, I quickly turn my, my head, and, and my headlamp catches, um, what do you call those, uh, like a bobcat, like on top of the fence. Like it had just jumped up there real quick. And the bobcat was, was like slowly, like it was crouching and like slowly like watching me and climbing across the wall. Now, for the rest of the run, I ran as fast as I've ever run in my life. And seriously, like I'm running by, and I continue to like look back over my shoulder because I, I feel like it's like preying on me. Like it's going to kill me. I'm the first person killed by this tiny little bob. It's probably a baby bobcat. But I'm scared to death. And it's like this is the picture, like this, this prowling animal. This is what, what sin is. It's just waiting to grab us, to control us. One day, Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. What a turn of events we have in Scripture. From God creating everything, and it is very good to Adam and Eve taking a piece of fruit because they want to define their own reality. They want to define their old good and evil. To their children killing each other. This is the world in which we live. And what's interesting in, in this piece of the story to me is it's almost as though God says to us that we have the ability to rule over it's the same word used in Genesis chapter 1, that when God created us in his image, that we are to rule over the world around us, like he's kind of set us in this place of authority in the world, right? That we can rule over the sin that is around us. It's this interesting picture that God says, you have within you, because you're created in my image, you have the ability to rule over those things that want to control who you are. Now, let's talk about sin just for a minute. I told you, I warned you it was going to be a heavy morning. Let's talk about sin. Sin is an interesting word. It's very divisive, and, and we don't like to talk a lot about sin. And I want to paint a picture of what, what I think the Bible communicates sin is to us and maybe help us to understand it um, at, a, at a different level. So the Bible uses three words um, for sin. It uses sin, it uses wickedness, and it uses rebellion. There's a... There's a um, a professor that, that defines sin in this way. Sin is culpable disturbance of shalom. Culpable disturbance of shalom. Now, um, usually in the church when we talk about sin, we talk about us like breaking God's laws, right? Have you, you've probably heard that bef before, the, the idea that we're breaking God's laws. And there's some, there's some tie there, but, but let's go with this, this definition just for a minute. Culpable disturbance of shalom. Shalom, to define it, uh, shalom is God's peace. It, it's this Hebrew word for peace and wholeness. 
and harmony in the world. This is shalom, the, the world as God intended it, the world as very good. The world out there is very good. This is shalom. Disturbance is the, the, the fact that it's not as it should be, that it's been disrupted, that it's been broken, that there's something that has marred this shalom. Now, how many of us would agree that the world is not today as God has, had intended it when he created it? Would we all agree with that, that there's something wrong with the world that we live in? Yes, there's this disturbance that's happened. Culpable means responsibility. It's my part. Sin is my part of breaking the shalom that God created. Does that make sense? Are you with me? So maybe we would say it this way. Sin is um, anything I do to disrupt the peace, the harmony, and the good that God intends for the world today. Now, would you agree that all of us sin? If, if this is the definition of sin, going off this, that all of us do things that disrupt the peace and the harmony of the world in which we live. Would we all agree that we're all guilty of disrupting what God created? Would you agree with that? Most of us would say yes. Yes. One of the very first authors of Scripture uh, in the New Testament, his name was Paul, and he had this radical transformation that happened to him. And he wrote this, because he wanted us all to understand that, that we're all in this together. He wrote that all have sinned, everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of, of God's ideal, his standard, what he created in the world. We all fall short of that. When, when God looked at what he created, he said, this is very good. That, that Paul said, let's not, let's, let's not be mistaken about this, that we all are culpable. We, we all are responsible for making the world not as good as what God had intended it to be. All of us. Now, that should be heavy to us, right? That, that we are responsible for breaking the peace and the harmony that's a part of the world. That's, that's a heavy thing. Now, do you want to catch the beautiful part of this? So the next thing that Paul says, because he doesn't want anybody to miss it, is this. He goes on and he says, Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. Like he declares that, that's a weird word, unless you're from the 80s, like righteous, um, dude. You'll get, you'll get that later. Anyway, um, Bill and Ted, excellent. Anyway, um, he declares that we are righteous, which, which means that, that you, are, you are right, you are good. God looks at us. He looks at us and he says, even though you has, have disrupted the world in which you live, the, the peace that I put there, God declares that we are righteous. And he did this through who? Jesus. Like Jesus is the one, because of what Christ did, that, that God can look at us and declare us not guilty. He's freed us from the penalty of our sin, the, the death that should be a part of our lives because of that sin, that he's freed us from that. Now, isn't that a beautiful picture of what God has done for us? Even though we are guilty of disrupting the world, we're, we're guilty of disrupting the relationships that are a part of our, our lives. Yeah, he, he frees us from that. So, what are we to do? Now, I told you every week that there would be a few pieces that I would say, this is really important. Write this down. Remember when I said that? This, this next part is really important for us. So write this down. Um, when it comes to sin, when it comes to this idea of sin in our lives, um, the first piece is that this, that restraint is actually a good thing. Self-control is actually a good thing for us. 
so often, especially in our culture, we feel like, like freedom means that we can, with abandon, do whatever we want, whenever we want, with whoever we want, right? That, our world tells us that's what freedom is. And, and we should, because we're free people, we should be able to do whatever, whenever, with whoever, and it doesn't matter. Because of sin, because of what it does to our world, the truth is restraint is a good thing. Now let me talk to a few of you, just kind of just us. Where is it for you that you need some self-control in your life? Where is it in your life that restraint would actually bring about good in a relationship or, or it would bring about good in, in the sit- situation that you're facing in life? Where is it that self-control would, would actually do some good for you and keep you from a destructive pattern? Now, don't forget, who, has, who, who is guilty of sin? Who, who is it? All of us, all of us. So none of us are exempt from this idea of, of, of needing self-control. So don't don't, don't feel like you're alone in this. Don't allow shame to kind of rule over because every single one of us in this room has to use self-control and restraint, and God instructs us to do this. So for you, where is it in your life that you need some self-control? Um, sin does so many different things to all of us. I mean, it's, it's different for every one of us. For some uh, we get lost in what we're looking at on a screen, and that disrupts the peace that God has created in this world. Uh, for some, it's this, this image management, and, and so we need restraint in just buying more and more to try to cover up what God has created and said is good because we don't believe it's good, and we don't believe people love us. And so we, we do things to try to, to cover up what he's, what he's called good. I mean, it could be a thousand different things, but where do you need some self-control, some restraint in your world today to, to keep from disturbing God's peace? The second thing that I think is really important for us to know is this, that we can't hide forever, can we? Like everything, everything in our lives will one day be made known. I read a story this week of, um, of a couple and, and there was this picture that they painted for the world that everything was perfect. And after their death, their kids began going through their, their personal effects and, and, and come to find out the, 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 the life that they portrayed uh, was very different than the life that they lived in secret. And it created this disappointment and brokenness in these kids who were trying to wrestle with the truth of who their parents really were. Like, what we do in secret, what we think no one else knows, one day, that, that will, it, it'll be made known to everyone. Where do I need to be honest with myself, with God, and, and maybe someone else? And, and, I, and I think it begins with you and God. I, I think, like, owning up to some things just between you and God is, is the best place to start. And then maybe to find a trusted a, a pastor a counselor, someone that then, you know, a best friend, someone that you can trust, that you can be honest with them. Where do you need to be honest? And then the third thing, um, when, it, when, it comes, when it comes to sin is this, that repentance plus forgiveness always leads to freedom in life. Repentance, which, which is this churchy word I know, it's kind of this like, what does repentance mean? 
when Jesus taught, he often said repent, and, and it literally means to turn around, to go in a different direction, to turn back to God. So repentance is like this, this, this action, this idea, this concept of I'm going to quit doing what I'm doing that's disrupting the peace, and I'm actually going to go in a different direction, and I'm going to pursue God instead of pursuing whatever this is. Does that make sense? That's, that's what repentance is. Repentance in the Bible is always, always, always met with God's forgiveness. Always. Like true repentance never comes to God and he rejects it. God never rejects our repentance. Now that's good news, right? That every time we go to God and we say, God, I have screwed up once again. I have messed up. I have disturbed the peace and I don't want to do this again. God always forgives it. Always, always, always. He always looks at us and he says, because of Christ, I see you as right. You're righteous. You're good. And that, when, when we repent and God forgives us, that always leads to freedom in what re life really is. It always leads us to a better kind of way of living, as difficult as it is. When it comes to sin, self-control is a good thing. It's actually not a lack of freedom like we often think it is. Self-control is a good thing. Hiding cannot last forever. Though we think that we can hide things from others and we think we can hide from God, we just can't. It's, it's just not possible in the world in which we live. And repentance will always be met by God's forgiveness, and we will find freedom in life when we pursue God with everything that we are. For a couple of minutes, if you've got your notebooks out and your Bibles, um, just put them away just for a second. And um, we're, we're going to end here in a, in a minute with communion. But before we do that, there is this bizarre story in Scripture that I want to tell you. And um, it's this beautiful canvas, this painting that God gives us. And it's found in one of the, the minor prophets, this little prophetic book in, in the Old Testament. And it's a book called Hosea. Have you ever read the book of Hosea? It's bizarre if you read it. It begins with this, this idea, this concept that God tells Hosea, who's a prophet, a man of God, he tells him to go and marry a prostitute. See, you should read the Bible. There's crazy stuff in there. Like he says, go and marry a prostitute because I want to illustrate what it's like to have a people that will give themselves to other gods and other people. And so Hosea goes and he finds this woman named Gomer. And an uh, interesting name for a woman, right? Gomer. Uh, parents? Anyway. Um, Hosea, Hosea marries Gomer, who's a prostitute. And as is, like, the story, as it goes, this woman uh, decides at some point that she doesn't want to stay with her husband, but she wants to go back into her old life. She feels like there's more freedom in her old life. Now, does that sound familiar to us? that sometimes we get on this, the, the right path and we experience life, but then we find ourselves going, oh, that was better back there, and we want to actually go back. Have you ever experienced that? Um, you don't have to answer. It's okay. Um, yeah, and, and, and so she goes back into her old life. Now, just so we grasp, like, the heaviness of this, can you imagine marrying a woman giving her, her yourself, or, or vice versa, marrying a man and giving, giving him everything that you are, only for him or her to return to prostitution 
and sell themselves to the highest bidder. Can you imagine what you would feel like? This is what happened to Hosea. She returned to her former life. And so what does God do with this? So here's where it picks up, and it says this. The Lord said to me, and this is Hosea speaking, Go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. Now, just feel that for a minute. Feel the betrayal, the pain, the disappointment, the anger that would be a part of you. And God says, return. Go and love her again, even though she has sold herself to another man. This will illustrate that the, that the Lord still loves Israel even though the people have turned to other gods and, and love to worship them. So what God was doing is painting a picture through Hosea and Gomer. He was painting this, this beautiful picture that he still loved his people, even though they had given themselves to other things. He still loved them. Now there was this, this beautiful piece that was to, to God's people, the Israelites, but here's the prophetic piece to us today. I mean, we are a part of, this is us. This is our story right here. It continues, and it says this. So I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. Um, we, we probably don't have much understanding of what that means, but he paid a price. Now catch this. Hosea paid a price to buy what was already his, his wife. He paid a price to, to purchase back what he had already what he had already given himself to once. He was willing to pay whatever. Can you imagine him? Can you imagine Hosea walking through the brothels of his day, looking for his wife, saying, have you seen her? I don't care if she's with another man. Tell me where she is. Getting and finding her and her pimp them saying, no, no, she's mine now. Wait, wait, that's my wife. No, no, if you want her, this is what you'll pay. And Hosea taking everything that he had to pay to purchase what was already his. So the story continues. Afterward, the people will return and devote themselves to the Lord and to David's descendant, their king. This is talking about who? This is talking about Jesus. Like God wants us to realize that even though we had given ourselves to so many other pursuits, that he is willing to do whatever it takes to purchase us back, even though we are already his. Can you imagine that depth of love that God has for you and that he has for me? That he's willing to do whatever it takes to purchase us back. He gave us his one and only, it's going to take my son, I will give my son. I'll give whatever it takes to purchase back what I already owed. And here's the piece that had caught me this time that I've, I've never noticed before. They will tremble. What do, we normal, what do we normally tremble at? Like in fear, don't we? we? We normally tremble like we're in fear. They will tremble in the awe of the Lord and His what? And His goodness. Not, not like we're going to fear God and and. And, and shrink back because, 
because of his wrath or because his hatred. For, we will tremble because we realize how good God is. How good he is. I don't want you to miss this today. I don't want to miss this today. I, I need this reminder that God created me in his image. He created you in his image. And we have given ourselves to so many different things. Yet God, in, in his goodness, purchased us back, even though we were already his. Because it is who he is. He is good. Now, one last little thing, and then we're going to have communion. You're like, you keep saying that. I, I promise. I'm going to land the plane now. Sin in the Bible is not the primary word. And it's not your primary story, and it's not my primary story. What did I tell you not to forget? That what's our primary identity is in what? Bearing God's image. Sin is the middle story. Our first story, our, our primal identity is in his image. The middle story is sin, what disrupts this world. And the last word is Jesus and what he did for us because of God's goodness. And that changes everything for us. So we're going to take communion today as a reminder of God's great love. And I hope you feel that today. I hope you feel his love. And uh, for some of us, when we take communion I pray that this would become a moment of, of repentance for you, of turning back to God, of saying, God, I desperately need you. For some of you today, um, maybe this, uh, this would be a moment that you would turn to God for the first time. Maybe you've, you've kind of never thought of yourself as, as someone who was created in his image, but you were, and maybe today you want to turn back and pursue God. It's, it's easy to do. It, all it takes is, is opening yourself, being honest with God about who you are, and then simply, to the best of your ability, walking in his direction, pursuing him. Your repentance will always be met with God's forgiveness. Always, always, always. So if you've never experienced that before, I want to invite you to that today. This this practice, communion, is, is a little piece of bread that represents the body of Jesus, which was broken for us. The, the little cup of juice represents his blood, which was poured out for all of us, every single one of us. Whether or not you've accepted it, his blood is for you, and God's forgiveness is for you. And um, as you take it, I, I pray that you would receive it. As, as you take it in as you taste it, I pray that you would feel God's goodness and his love and that you would tremble at how good God is and how much he loves us. Aren't you thankful for that kind of love? We all need it, don't we? Because we're all in this boat together. We're all trying to pursue this life together. And as we do this, we're going to sing. Feel free to sing along. I'd ask you just to hold on to the communion. We'll take it together as a church. Uh, you don't need to be a member of this church if you're a you're one who wants to follow Jesus. Take communion with us. God, you are a good God, and um, we were created in your image, and, and we mess that up, we know. We admit that today. We confess that today, that we are all sinners in need of your grace. We, we disrupt this world all the time. So God, um, 
Through Christ, you've declared us righteous. I pray that we would receive that today, that we would feel your grace and your love and that we would tremble at your goodness because you are a good God. So may these actions and these moments be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name.